Thanks for listening to the Challenges 2014 podcast series. I'm Clem Silverman. Last week we examined EU modernisation and this week we are looking at economic transformation and trade. I'm here with Bruce Byers who says that economic transformation has implicitly been a goal of development policy for a long time, not least for African governments. But investment flows to Africa have brought renewed emphasis on the need for investment and policy reforms to promote productive employment, increasing internal pressure on governments to deliver on this, and a growing focus in donor countries on engaging with the private sector for development. So Bruce, 2014 could be called the year of implementation, but what do you mean by saying that the disappointment of MDG 8 increases recognition of the role of the private sector? Well, I think maybe this is kind of two separate points. For me, I, I mentioned in the blog that maybe the year of implementation would be just that if 2014 is to be a special year, that would have to be the case. I think the main point is that there have been lots of agreements, especially around trade uh, liberalisation, around uh, increasing the partnership roles with different new actors. And I think there's a sense when you go around different governments and you speak to different actors around the development sort of agenda, um, there's a kind of sense that, well, we've signed up to so many of these different things, now we just need to implement them. So I think that was within the blog post, that was kind of the, 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 the reason for kind of saying, well, maybe if we could call it the year of implementation, that would be a really special year then. Hmm. And I think the point on, on, on the MDG 8 is perhaps kind of illustrative of that. I mean, I think as people will now be increasingly familiar with the whole discussion of post-2015, the MDG 8 was the, the one goal where there was a kind of uh, a responsibility on all countries to sign up to this kind of partnership. So looking at trade issues, looking at private sector engagement, looking at, there was one aspect, looking at sort of pharmaceuticals and increasing the role of, of the pharmaceuticals and access to drugs. So again, also to do with private sector. And I think, I think the point is that there's a sense that MDG 8 was hard to measure and therefore it's been hard to measure progress on and be able to say something meaningful about it. So I get the sense that in these post-2015 discussions that's kind of why there's been more and more focus also of getting involved with the private or speaking to the private sector and getting their voice kind of included in negotiations. Um, on, a, on a subject which is sort of more concrete, uh, April 2014 is a deadline for the agreement on the EAC, Comesa and SADAC tripartite free trade area. Uh, what does that actually mean in practice and uh, what are the other opportunities and, or challenges uh, for removing barriers to trade in 2014? Well, as you say, this is a kind of more concrete um, illustration of the point about implementation. I think uh, there's been a number of frustrations within each of those different uh, trade blocks, EAC, COMESA and SADEC. One of the kind of hurdles for improving trade amongst the, the different countries within those blocks has been overlapping membership between sort of one country being membership, being a member of more than one trading block, which has made sort of implementation of rules, etc., a little more complicated. So this tripartite FDA idea was, was well, it started some time ago, actually in 2008, with the idea of, in a way, trying to leapfrog some of the complications of each of the different blocks and try and get to a sort of broader, larger tripartite that would therefore overcome some of those problems and allow the countries within them to trade more easily together. But I think, as you say, what does this mean in practice? Well, it means that there's a lot of negotiation taking place in a very short period of time. Um, so the, the numbers of meetings and negotiations have begun to pick up, but it's still a very complicated agenda. Um, and I think it would ultimately come down to, in 2014, potentially signing an agreement. But this will again be meaningless unless countries are actually able to implement it on the ground, if there's some kind of enforcement mechanism, 
Um, and then ultimately, if, if countries and their private sectors can actually take advantage of this agreement and start leading towards more investment, more employment and all these kind of effects, basically. Mm. And so if we zoom kind of back out again to, um, to look at European donors and Western countries and how they are shifting towards trying to increase investment uh, from their private sector and businesses, mm-hmm. um, is that in order to, uh, to reduce sorry, the, the, the reliance on development assistance? So is, is that a mask just to, to, in order to, just to reduce budgets or is it actually a more meaningful commitment to development within developing countries? Uh, I don't think it's a mask to reduce budgets. I mean, if you see one of the most sort of active in this has been the UK, and they're one of the few countries that hasn't reduced their budget. But it is maybe in recognition of the fact that in relative terms, aid is becoming less important. It's also part of this kind of ongoing d- dynamic sort of recognition that actually maybe by working with the private sector, we can do more. I mean, I think there are, there are push and pull factors, basically. I mean, there some of the, the, the pull factors are also that Within Africa, for example, there are already a lot of sort of subsidized investment basically coming from some of the emerging markets, sort of there's Brazil, India, China, and others such as Turkey and, and others, and Malaysia and, and other countries. So in some respects, there's almost a sense of trying to keep up with other countries engaging there. Um, but also in a way perhaps to try and make aid more effective by kind of linking it to something where the, the private sector as a driver may in certain occasions actually be able to have more of a, of a developmental effect. And certainly in this area, this kind of agenda on economic transformation and trying to promote investment and jobs and, and increase productivity, um, I, I, I think it can be seen more as a positive than, than, than a negative basically. What conditions need to be in place to attract businesses to actually take up on some of these new policies? Uh, well, I mean, I think that's where the, the I mean, this is one of the big questions that's still being debated, of course. Um, so there are there are fears of having uh, aid captured by business interests who are sort of not developmental in their in their broader outlook. But I think there's a growing recognition amongst many that a longer term view, even from a pretty purely private sector point of view, would still necessitate countries to engage in kind of sustainable way and promote good working conditions. I mean, I think one of the interesting things that's happening, for example, in sectors like cocoa, is that companies are beginning to worry about their supply chain. So therefore, there's more of an incentive for them to actually work in more developmental way with their with their suppliers. Um, for other kinds of companies, it's kind of re- trying to minimize the harm. So there's almost like a spectrum between minimizing harm in one at one end and actually maximizing the benefits in the other and even at a conversation uh, discussion that we had last week there were examples given of companies who had started out sort of doing CSR type projects but then eventually realized that these are these are commercially viable as well so i think there's a kind of range of different aspects that can come together to try and make this more developmental and the role of aid in amongst them is perhaps more kind of at the margin trying to tip the balance trying to kind of overcome specific risks um, rather than driving, ra- rather than driving the process, and I think, I mean, ultimately, what the the concern really now is is how to link international investment with the local economy. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's relevant whether you're talking about uh, extractive sector or manufacturing or agricultural processing. Um, and there are more, there are more and more sort of analyses going on about what needs to be in place for that to happen. And ultimately, it co- does come down to developing country institutions and, and the rule of law and things. So there's a question about, okay, within that kind of political dynamic and, and the, the, the real context on the ground, 
where are the kind of levers that we can pull on to try and uh, encourage investment to be to take place in the first place and then to be more kind of developmental in terms of providing jobs and higher productivity. Thanks very much, Bruce. Uh, leave comments that you may have on the blog and listen next week for a discussion on peace and security.